Content warning. The following episode includes brief discussion of abuse and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. I am your host, Jay Poole, and this is Pot Stirrer Podcast. listeners, and welcome to Pot Stirrer Podcast, where politics, religion, and history collide, and it's not always polite. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, Mitchell Kessler. Mitchell is the author of the book, Broke the Bread, Spill the Tea. Broke the Bread, Spill the Tea seeks to look past a superficial reading of the Bible to explore what the Bible actually says about being LGBTQ+, through a contextual, historical, and lexicological lens so that the gap may be bridged between identity and faith. Welcome, Mitchell. Thank you very much for joining me. Hey, Jay. Thank you so much for having me. So briefly, how would you describe your book, Broke the Bread, Spill the Tea? Broke the Bread, Spill the Tea is a sort of guidebook for, you know, someone who is struggling with their faith and uh, their sexual identity. Uh, You know, in traditional senses, these have always been opposing sides, and it kind of shows people that this bridge can be gapped. And, you know, you can marry that sexual identity to your faith without much problem. And so you would say that the primary audience for your book are people who are say, LGBTQ plus that are dealing with their identity and also wanting to reconcile that with being a Christian? Exactly that. And even for those curious, you know, uh, we live in a society, especially in this country, where faith kind of dominates even politics. So it's definitely a good way of reading up on what's true and what's not and seeing what has been twisted out there uh, in order to combat that with truth. Okay, that makes sense. So... What inspired you to write this book? There was a bit of a mix of things. Um, Well, for one, definitely my journey. Uh, I am a bisexual man and, you know, a man of faith as well. So that was one of the things that influenced me to write this. And then the second one is something that I actually make mention in the book. A few days after Christmas, uh, a few years ago, my aunt, who is also lesbian, she gave me a call and she was telling me, you know, God has kind of revealed something to me that, you know, we're wrong. And so I turned to her and I was like, what do you mean we're wrong? At that point, I was kind of getting a little tremulous. I was a little worried about, you know, what was she going to say? You know, is everything that I've been (laughs) studying so far, like been for nothing? Uh, And she's an EMT. So obviously at the time that she said it, she got an emergency call. So she had to call me back and left me, you know, kind of on the (laughs) on the cliff's edge there. Yeah, that's how uh, it happens, she, huh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but when she did call me back, she she clarified, you know, she said, you know, I think we've been wrong because we've been wasting our energy trying to convince the wrong people. You know, we're trying to convince these closed minded Christians when there's so many in our own community who have abandoned their faith, abandoned God and started hating themselves because of what this human doctrine teaches. And basically, that was kind of like the clicking moment for me where I was like, you know, I I need to do something about this. Like all this knowledge that I have and that I've researched, I need to pass this on to help other people. I read that and I thought that makes a lot of sense. 
far as being able to minister within the queer community. Exactly. Yeah. So in the book, you discuss your evangelical faith background, specifically the Assemblies of God. Now, for listeners, the Assemblies of God is a Pentecostal denomination. Pentecostal churches tend to emphasize personal experience of God through what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, typically evidenced by the speaking of tongues. These churches are Bible-based and also believe that the Holy Spirit is still active today. And there's some emphasis on the existence of a spiritual world. Now, I read in a book that, oh, you were raised Assemblies of God. That really piqued my interest. Now, just to give you a little bit of background on myself, on Potstar Podcast, I've discussed extensively about my journey away from evangelical Christianity. And while, mm. while I myself, I'm still Christian, I'm still on a journey to figure out what my faith looks like going forward. Yeah. Now, when I first became a Christian, and that was like when I was in college at Ohio State, as a new Christian, I started out in Chi Alpha, which okay. is an Assemblies of God affiliated campus ministry before spending the bulk of my college years in university. Um, I also at one time was a member of an Assemblies of God church here locally in Cincinnati. And then in addition, uh, so I have a PhD in political science. And for my dissertation, I researched and discussed some of the early history of the Assemblies of God, um, specifically the the roots in the Azusa Street Revival. So, yeah, I saw Assemblies of God like, okay, this is something I can resonate with. <laughs> and I like, I get this. So, Mitchell, in your case, your family is from Brazil. Yes, correct. Okay, but you you grew up here in the U.S., uh, specifically Boston? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so the thing is that I found interesting. So you've come from a long line of men in ministry. Yes. (laughs) Did you ever feel like those were big shoes to fill? Oh, absolutely. I think there were huge shoes to fill. You know, my great grandfather, my grandfather, my uncle and my dad were all uh, leaders in the church. And although I wasn't directly a pastor's kid, I was basically treated as a pastor's kid where, you know, there was a huge magnifying uh, lens on top of my life and how I acted and how I portrayed myself. You know, at one point, I even considered being a youth pastor myself to continue on the tradition. But I think as I got more and more exposed to the machinations of what goes on in the church community, I think the more I saw it wasn't healthy and it wasn't for me, you know, sexual orientation especially felt like a huge mark to my faith. And, you know, the expectations that everyone had for me. So, you know, I was expected to be this golden holy boy, but that wasn't the case. (laughs) How were you able to navigate your sexual orientation along with these expectations? It was very tough in the beginning. You know, Jay, I've suppressed it a lot. Um, I went through very serious bouts of depression Um, at a few points in my life. I even attempted to commit suicide. So that's how. That's how bad things have gotten. You know, I think at one point when I was in the church and I was seeing, you know, the kind of the hypocrisy of how people treated each other just in general, not just towards the queer community. I started thinking, well, there's something wrong here. And so I started looking into it a little bit more deeply in terms of sexuality in the Bible. And, you know, I found that a lot of the things there were misconstrued, were misinterpreted. 
And I think as I found that evidence for myself, that's when I kind of, you know, had to come to the understanding that maybe, just maybe, the God that's preached on Sunday pulpits isn't the full truth of who he is, you know? Yeah, I could see how going through all that would make you really think about things and reconsider some things. What I find fascinating about your story is that even with the way that much of the evangelical church tradition as a whole, like as an umbrella, has treated and mistreated LGBTQ plus people, you haven't walked away from God or Christianity. Yeah. And while within your book, you don't take a completely literalist view of scripture, you do take the Bible very seriously. Yes. And so coming from a church tradition that does take a more literal view of scripture, how have you been able to allow yourself the freedom to explore and ask questions and think about the Bible without completely casting it aside? Yeah, so that's a very interesting question. You know, I consider myself to be a man of faith. Uh, I think that the word Christian itself, especially nowadays, has come up with a very negative connotation. And it's very associated with a sort of image that isn't very conducive to, you know, forming relationships outside of the church. Um, And so I think, you know, that's where I stand on that. And in terms of the Bible, I, you know, I'm a believer that you know, it was God inspired, but I'm not a believer that, you know, how a lot of people say that, oh, how could you think that God would let the Bible be mistranslated? You know, human error falls very deeply into that. And I think that there, you know, the overarching message of the Bible is what we should be kind of looking at. And one of the ways that I kind of saw it is, you know, in the Bible itself, uh, God says that he wants to be known by by us. He wants us to question. He wants us to ask the hard questions. I think it was in First uh, Corinthians 3, verse 2, Paul had uh, said to the Corinthians, you know, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you still are not ready. So I think there's there's levels of biblical knowledge, and it's up to us to kind of determine how much we want to research into that and how much we want to, you know, find a deeper meaning. Because there are deeper meanings, and there are mistranslations and context, historical context that we need to analyze in order to understand the full message. And if we take that approach to the Bible, I think we're going to find out a lot more than we bargained for. Yeah. So when we talk about the way that we understand the Bible. I was an evangelical for for several years, but then at the same time, I was also in academia. And so mm-hmm. that kind of helped shape the way that I look at the Bible. And, and I think like you said, something somewhat similar, the way that I tend to look at it is, okay, it's a message of God's relationship with his people. Yeah, and, exactly. Like it's not necessarily meant to be a rule book per se. Oh, the verse says X, Y, and Z. And so we're going to run with that. And it's also not necessarily meant to be taken as a literal like history book. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, but it's a message of God loves his people. And this is his message of that relationship. Exactly. I think that kind of way of looking at it can free us up to really explore the Bible in depth and look into context and try to get 
an understanding of, okay, what was being meant here when some of these passages were said and what's the whole thing saying? Absolutely. So when we talk about biblical literalism, biblical literalism is how many traditionalists would categorize their view of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Is that a way, in your view, for Christians to maybe hold on to more certainty than the Bible provides? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, if the last few years have taught us anything, is it's that life is full of uncertainties outside of our control, right? So I think that structure and rigidity that literalism provides, it definitely serves as a form of comfort for some people. You know, the whole like, if everything else in my life is falling apart, at least I know that this is certain. Mm-hmm. And I think that the problem with that is that they're placing their comfort in the wrong things. You know, they look for their absolutes and rules and laws instead of looking to God for that certainty. And I think that the only absolute is this, that God is unchanging and his love is unconditional. And he made us a promise through Jesus and he's faithful to keep it. Yeah, like one of the things I talk about on my podcast is my journey away from evangelicalism and figuring out what my faith looks like moving forward. Mm-hmm. There's a whole movement called like the evangelical movement, and a lot of people who are in that they get away from evangelical denominations, churches, traditions. They deconstruct, and then they figure out, okay, well, what's next for me? And there's some people who remain Christian. There's some that leave the faith entirely. They maybe become more spiritual. They might become atheist. They might join a different religion. Mm-hmm. And so there's different paths. Now, for me personally, I think one of the things you touched on this is, okay, what can we be certain of? And so I can't speak for everybody else's experience leaving evangelical Christianity. But for myself, it's like, okay, well, I still want to hold on to the core. I want mm-hmm. to hold on to Jesus as Lord and the core of Christianity, God being all loving and the thing that never changes. But it's just like, okay, the things around it, stepping away from the rigidity and looking into what does the Bible mean? And maybe not necessarily discarding the Bible entirely, but just being like, okay, well, what is it actually saying? Yeah. There's, there's sort of a freedom in that to be able to have kind of a greater understanding of what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to have a relationship with God? What does it mean to embrace Jesus's love for us and his like redemptive sacrifice and all of that kind of yeah. stuff? Yeah, definitely. When you talked about that both in the book and then we we're talking about this in our conversation. Yeah, I can definitely resonate with that. Yeah, absolutely. And to that point too, you know, I think, One of the ways that I look at it and I take it by this lens of what Jesus said when there, you know, that one instance where the Pharisees were trying to trick him and they asked him, you know, what are the, what is the greatest commandment? Uh, And he's responded, you know, there are two, you know, number one, love God with all your heart. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself on. And he says specifically on these two laws, on these two commandments, all the laws and prophets hang upon. You know, so whenever we're kind of analyzing doctrine, church doctrine, we should put it up against these two because it came from the mouth of Jesus. You know, like, is this loving God and is this loving my neighbor? And if the doctrine somehow contradicts any of those two, then maybe we should take a deeper study into it. 
maybe there's a bit of a misconnect somewhere that, you know, wasn't, you know, properly communicated over the years. And I think once you start doing that there, you know, you see a lot more freedom in the Bible. Yeah, I love that approach. I really do. Yeah, when you look at that and we look at through through those commandments, it kind of puts things into a different light. Maybe a couple of years ago, I did a two-part series on sexual orientation and Christianity for Pastor Podcast. And one of the things that, that I discussed in sort of in the same vein is the idea of, okay, so the way that the church approaches people who are LGBTQ plus and how that affects people in the queer community. Is that positive fruit? And the fruit of that in terms of like relationships being broken, people in the queer community being say abandoned by their families, driven to taking their own lives, unfortunately, ultimately the way that the church has approached LGBTQ plus people, it's born negative fruit, essentially. Yes, exactly. And people also walking away from the church entirely. And it's not a matter of, oh, rebellion, da, 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 da. It's like, okay, you're asking for people to suppress a core part of their identity of who they are. Exactly. There's a, there's a kind of um, visual or mental illustration that I recently come upon that's pretty strong. It basically says, you know, the devil's on vacation because the church has been doing his work for him, turning people away from God, turning people away from church. And it's it's true, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like it shocks you to hear, but it's true. Uh, the way that Christianity has evolved to the modern day times is pushing people away from God, not bringing them closer to him. Right. And it's not necessarily a question of persecution because Unfortunately, sometimes, especially here in the United States, a lot of times that's sort of the go-to. And and while, yes, worldwide, there is, you know, in a a number of societies, there is persecution of Christians. But when we talk about here in the United States, where Christianity is the dominant faith, and there is a lot of political and social influence that the church has, Really, I think sometimes the idea of like, oh, we're being persecuted or, oh, people are criticizing us because we're Christians. It can be sort of used as a crutch or as a way to mm-hmm. keep from reflecting on how faith is being, say, interpreted and misinterpreted to oppress groups of people. Exactly. And I think if people started to shift their mindset from this, you know, victimization of persecution into, you know, one that's more centered around accountability. I think, you know, there would be a lot of change in the world that we live in. I I definitely agree with that. So in your book, you bring up the practice of apologetics, which is the practice of defending faith doctrine. And usually it's in the context of Christian doctrine through systematic argumentation and discourse. Another thing that makes your book stand out to me, among the books that I've read that discuss the ill treatment of queer people by many conservative evangelical Christians, is that you take on the clapper verses, which are Bible passages used to condemn homosexuality. You take those head on and you approach it 
much like someone trained in apologetics. So on one hand, you do sprinkle in real life harm that LGBTQ plus people face due to living their truth. But at the same time, you treat scripture with authority and importance. So why did you take this approach to these verses? Yeah, so I've always been the huge proponent of academic research, right? I I never take things at face value. Uh, I'll always do research into credible resources before forming my own opinion. And I think for this, especially for this, it was very important for me to do so just as a, you know, for myself even, just to have that mental reassurance that, okay, the things that I'm researching are true. This is the truth, even though it's been kind of covered up for hundreds and hundreds of years in church doctrine. But I think one of the main goals of writing this book that I had to constantly, constantly kind of remind myself was that, you know, I'm not writing this book for people who are set in their ways. I'm not re- writing this book for, you know, the closed minded Christians who take everything literally and don't want to change. This is more so for, you know, those people with the curiosity, with the open mindedness to be able to ask those questions, you know. Mm-hmm. And even in the book, I say so myself, like, here are my credible resources. But, you know, I invite you to do your own research as well look into these things, start questioning. And I think that it's kind of like what Jesus did, honestly, with his disciples. Whenever the disciples would ask a question, instead of sometimes outright giving them the answer, he would give them another question and kind of guide them to the truth themselves so that they could think of themselves, you know? Um, So that's kind of what I try to do with this book, make everything very easy to read, digestible, um, not a lot of, you know, theological jargon, just very easy to understand and then kind of invite people to start their own journey of research and uncovering the truth. So, yeah, that's definitely like a fascinating approach to use the practice or the that toolbox of apologetics. But then instead of it being a way to, say, debate people who maybe might be more rigid in their view of the Bible, you're approaching like the queer community, you're approaching your own community with okay, this is another way of looking at this. And this is different than what maybe you've been taught in churches or from Christians in the past. Exactly. Yeah. It's, It's a tool of empowerment in a way, or it's a way to empower people. That's really awesome. That's really, I think that that's really cool. I'm on the outside looking in. I'm not part of the LGBTQ plus community. But I do have people that I'm really close to who are within the queer community that I love deeply. In full disclosure, out of all the issues and all of the things that I faced within evangelicalism, racism and bigotry and just things that bothered me when I was in it, the thing that made me decide to step away and to really start to deconstruct and then reconstruct was how the church approached the gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans community. And seeing that personally and seeing that within uh, my own circle, how that was really destructive. Absolutely. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's kind of crazy, too, because a lot of this homophobia is coming from let's say like the Catholic uh, denomination, which is primarily the biggest um, Christian denomination in the world. You know, they we've been called pedophiles. We've been called groomers. 
And it's it's insane to see all of these news stories come out recently about how across all denominations, the real people committing these atrocities are with, from within the church. So it's kind of like, why are you denying our existence when, you know, you're the ones committing all of the shameful things that you're accusing us of? And it's just it's it's one of those things where there's a lot of hurt. And I think that in order for there to be healing from that hurt, the church needs to reevaluate itself, which, you know, we don't know if that's ever going to happen. But we can definitely make strides uh, in our own small communities to to that change. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of that, one of the things that I got from your book and then we're getting into it here today is that if you really think about it, a major consequence of this rigid traditional interpretation is that there's a blind spot there. There's this focus on, oh, quote, unquote, them, right? Like they're doing mm -hmm. this. You mentioned how queer people have unfortunately been called groomers and so on and so forth. Yet it's created this blind spot where there's real harm being committed by church leaders and believers. There are these abuse scandals that have been coming out within the church. Yeah, for years, people focused on the Roman Catholic Church. And so, mm -hmm. like, oh, well, you know, all these priests and da 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 da. And then you started to see within a number of Protestant denominations. Um, exactly. And a lot of these conservative Christian churches, and for example, like Sovereign Grace. Or Southern Baptist Convention, a number of others have had their own scandals as it relates to sexual abuse and the like. And then also, of course, there have been other harms committed by the church. What we've been talking about, homophobia, transphobia, you know, also mentioned in the book. And, you know, I've seen this as well, racism, anti-Semitism, misogyny. And... Mm -hmm. In focusing on, say, the other, these real harms within the church flourish. And so in your view, do you think this blind spot where the church isn't applying the Bible, these things to themselves, right? Do you think this is a result of Christians misunderstanding scripture? Do you think it could be like an after the fact, post hoc? justification of oppressive behavior, a little comedy or, yeah. or something else. Yeah, I think it's a mix of both, honestly. You know, it's one of the things that I've been very worried recently, especially because I live in Florida, is this censorship of historical facts that's been trying to happen. And I'm very firm believer that if we don't learn from the mistakes of our past, then history is just going to repeat itself. And, you know, I mentioned in the book how over the years, religion has always been used to control the masses. We saw that in medieval times, and we can see, continue to see it today. So I feel like the common denominator here is that people aren't taught properly to study scripture. And since humans are kind of cognitively wired to take the path of least resistance, you know, we're left with an entire generation who like faces ignorance, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a mix of both. You know, it's, it's that need to control the population and the population's lack of knowledge on how to actually study the scripture that is being used to control them. You know, and uh, I think it's in Hosea that he says, you know, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And that's the truth. You know, if you allow yourself to continue to be led by 
doctrines that are not quite true and doctrines that are uh, not fully explained and fully correct, then we're just going to keep repeating history where church leaders and political leaders are going to keep using religion to control us. Yeah. And I think you really hit the nail on the head. And I get it. I live in Ohio. I've lived here for the past close to 20 years. Ohio is oftentimes, especially because of our politics, has been called the Florida of the North. Mm-hmm. And like in Ohio, like we were for a long time, we were a kind of like Florida, a swing state politically. Mm-hmm. But then nowadays there is more control by the right wing. Yeah. And with that, you see a lot of churches that will support this behavior by politicians. The idea of censoring history under the disguise of critical race theory. Um, right. But really, it's censoring true history and civics. And there's this rail of, okay, we're going to censor knowledge. And then this other rail of using religion, specifically Christianity, as a form of control. Yeah. Um, and it's a certain... And it's a certain interpretation of Christianity. I have a really good friend of mine who is um, Greek Orthodox. Mm-hmm. And she she takes her faith seriously. One of the things that she's always been really passionate about is the idea of the separation of church and state. Yes. And it's not a thing of like, oh, being against religion, but just that when you have a certain interpretation of that, that is in power, then it restricts freedom. It restricts the ability to explore for yourself, to think for yourself, to have maybe a different way of looking at things. You know, in addition to, I mean, obviously, like there are other faiths within our society that are also not able to practice. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So the thing is, is that this idea of politicizing And I kind of hesitate to say it that way because obviously God is the God of all arenas. I don't know if I want to go as far as to say that don't even think about him at all as an individual who is political. Mm -hmm. But I think the approach that the church has taken of trying to push like a certain interpretation politically and pushing more or less towards theocracy. Um, It's dangerous, not just for society, not just for our democracy, although that is important as someone who's very political, that's a big deal. But it's also huge for the church. It's also bad for the church. Absolutely. I feel like in government, if we were this perfect society where, uh, you know, the Christian core values was what reigned in government. I think it would benefit people. But unfortunately, humans are messy. You know, mm-hmm. humans are messy. Humans can be corrupt. There can be ulterior motives. And I think in that sense, that's where we see that, you know, muddling of like religion and the state to be something very negative, very oppressing for other people. I think that Christians nowadays want to impose their beliefs on others so badly, but then they forget that God gave all of us free will, you know? Right. And it's like, it's not up to us to dictate what another person should do with their lives. And, you know, I think I like to believe, too, that Jesus at one point did establish a sort of separation of church and state. I think it was in Mark 
when the Pharisees brought to him, a, you know, a Roman coin and he was like, should we pay our taxes? And him, you know, sensing the trickery that was in their question, he kind of said, you know, give to Caesars what is Caesars and to God what is God's. Yeah, and exactly. I feel like in that moment, I feel like in that exact moment, he kind of told us like there is a separation of church and state, you know, like give to God what belongs to God, which is, you know, the human soul and give to Caesar what is to Caesar, whatever government, you know, requires or mandates. That's the government's not not a mixture of both. Right. Yeah, definitely. Coming from an academic background, when I first started my graduate studies, because my concentration within political science, it was on public opinion survey research, but my own research for my dissertation, and then even before that, was on religion and politics. Mm-hmm. And so, um, one of the things, like, so when I took my first religion and politics course, there's a book that we read that one of the first things that mentioned was that a separation of church and state is good for the state and the church. Yes. You know, and I think it bears out historically as well that if you look at societies in the past that went all in on having the church control the state, eventually you end up with societies that reject the church. Exactly. And I think that's what we need to learn history. We need to have an understanding of the past because then that gives us a lens into how to proceed in the present. Exactly. And I think, you know, people are so stuck on this idea of wanting to romanticize the past and kind of focus only on, you know, how far the human race has come, you know, how how much we have achieved that they forget that histories can be ugly, you know. Things can be ugly in the past, and that's okay. It's okay to face the ugliness of the past as long as we learn to not commit those same atrocities in the future. But I feel like people are so stuck on this romantic, you know, romanticizing the past that they forget that. Yeah. And I think also people get worried a lot about the idea of blame. Yes. Um, because maybe our ancestors weren't all as perfect as we'd like to believe they were. Exactly. And, you know, and, and the thing is, is that. That's okay. There's the good and the bad, and that's okay. The thing is, is that you can't necessarily undo or change the past, but we can look at the past and understand it, explore and understand it so that we can do better in the present and we can create a better future. Absolutely. Because, you know, ultimately, we're just responsible for what we do, our own actions, you know? And I think if people hang on to that, things will be different for everyone. Exactly. When a lot of Christians embrace the idea of the mystery of God, when addressing some of these ideas that we might struggle with. So, for example, reconciling evil in the world, dealing with the problem of evil, reconciling evil, the evil in the world with God being all powerful. (laughs) How can we know the difference for ourselves? between embracing the mystery of God as a way of living with questions we might not have a way to answer and therefore take it on faith. And how much of that is a way to maybe hand wave uncomfortable contradictions in our beliefs? Yeah, you know, I think in those moments, I always try to remember the character of who God is, you know, based on at least what the Bible says. 
you know, I think the very existence of the Bible to me is kind of like the physical evidence of a God who gives us a story about who he is. If he wanted to be some mysterious entity, you know, he could act in different ways to cause fear into us and instill fear. But that's not the case. He he kind of gave us a story about all that he was willing to do for his people. And I think that, you know, it's I think it's Peter who said it, um, who said to the Philip or Paul, who said it to the Philippians. He said, you know, it is my prayer that your love abounds more and more with knowledge and discernment. So I think he wants us to get to know him. He wants us to search it out and kind of uncover those mysteries, because I think the answers are there. It's just we have to look hard enough, you know, Uh, in in Proverbs, Proverbs even says, like, uh, I love those who love me and those who seek me, find me. And I think there's there's comfort in that. I don't think that God is meant to be this completely mysterious uh, being that we aren't allowed to understand why he acts in certain ways. I just think that the answers sometimes require uh, more effort on our part. Yeah, definitely more effort. And, you know, maybe also letting go of maybe some assumptions and. Exactly. So, yeah, definitely. Ultimately, what would you like to see happen when people read your book? So while I was writing the book, I was, you know, I was having these like flashbacks of back when I was a teenager, kind of struggling with my sexuality and faith and wishing that there was something kind of like this book to lead me in the right direction or to give me at least some reassurance that I wasn't a mistake. And I think that, you know, ultimately, I want people to find comfort in this book. I want them to finally see themselves as God sees them, right? Not as abominations, like it's been so wrongfully preached, but I think as, you know, people and individuals who are loved and valued just as anyone else. Uh, and, and I hope that, you know, that I kind of take the book in an approach of like a more conversational style and a more like personal and intimate style. And so I just want people to feel that love through those pages and see, you know, that, you know, they are valued, they are special and they are loved. Awesome. Awesome. So Mitchell, where can people get Broke the Bread, Spill the Tea? Yeah, you can find it on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. And if there's any news on the book as well, you can follow me on Instagram at Mitchell Kessler, K-E-S-L-L-E-R. And MitchellKessler.com as well. Okay, so what's next for you? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of made this prayer when I was first writing the book where I was like, you know, God, I'm going to face a lot of hate and backlash on this book. You know, I don't know if it's going to be well received, but since you're the one who kind of guided me to write this and keep insisting that I write this, I, you know, I'm going to leave it in your hands and do my part as long as you do yours. So now I'm just kind of uh, curiously expecting to see where it ends up. You know, uh, for right now, there are more than 300 copies sold, which is you know, a lot more than I had originally expected. And I think, you know, this this has been a way uh, to a fulfillment of a promise in my life that my words would reach the hearts of many. So I'm I'm kind of just here for the ride and seeing, you know, expectantly what's going to happen next. OK. And I assume that if you have anything that comes up, you plan on posting that to your website? Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. My understanding is that this is the first book that you've written. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Okay. Do you have any plans on writing any more? Uh, potentially, yeah. I 
definitely do want to update uh, Broke the Bread at some point. Um, one of the things that I kind of didn't touch as much upon as I would have liked uh, was in terms of, you know, non-binary genders and, you know, the trans community as well. I kind of wrote a blog post to complement some of the things that I may have missed in terms of like, you know, at the time that I was writing the book, I didn't have as much knowledge as I would like on the topics. But now after kind of seeing the feedback I uh, received from that, I'm researching a lot more on that as well. Uh, so I would definitely love to update the book there and then hopefully write some other things as well, just to help people deal with that hurt and heartbreak that the church has caused. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that that's a very needed thing. And I think it's awesome that you're looking to be a voice and a resource for people, especially for a group of people that really need that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. You know, and you being part of that community can, you can really speak to that. And I think it's awesome that you're using your voice in that space. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. So listeners, definitely get the book, Broke the Bread, Spill the Tea. I have had a chance to read the book and it's a really interesting and excellent read. So Mitchell, thank you so much for coming on the Potstar podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. Thank you very much for listening to Potstar podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I invite you to listen to more episodes and subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Prime, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're really loving the show, please give it five stars on your podcast app of choice and leave a review. I only ask that because the ratings and reviews encourage other people to check out the show. So I truly appreciate it. Go to potstarpodcast.com for new episodes, merch, and more. And I like to tweet and I tend to announce things on Twitter. So follow me there at PotstarCast. I'm Jay Poole. Let's fight for America's future because freedom is not free. Freedom is not free.